I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Numbers. So we've been going through the journey to the promised land. Um, We haven't been going through every little story on the way because we would be here for years if we did. But uh, we're stopping at some of the major waypoints. And uh, we find ourselves in Numbers 22. What's happened in between this and the last time we talked? We talked about Caleb. You know, Pastor Kyle Horner brought a great message to us uh, on Sunday, a couple of Sundays ago, about Caleb. And of course, then on Wednesday night, we, we launched from there and continued on uh, a discussion about how he was different. And uh, so since they've left the entrance to the promised land, and they're, they're going to be wandering around for a bit, um, one of the first things that happened was uh, that the people tried to go back in. They tried to go back in. We talked about this. Tried to go back into the promised land, but it wasn't God's will. God had told them, uh, this is your chance, go in. They said, no. And so he said, okay, the next generation will go in. And of course, we've all, you know, we've talked about that, uh, the difference between repentance and regret. Repentance is good. And in fact, the Bible says that there is a godly repentance which leads to salvation without regret. Uh, But a lot of times we react in regret. When we react in regret, we try to go back in time and fix what we did. Rather than, we try to go back in time rather than going to God. And so that's what the Israelites tried to do. They tried, they, a bunch of them said, okay, we'll go into the promised land. And they were slaughtered. They, they, God was not with them when they went. Then after that, there was a man named Korah who was a priest. But he wasn't satisfied with his position. He wasn't satisfied that God had called a certain person to be the high priest. He wasn't satisfied with leadership. So he grumbled and he, he formed a rebellion. And uh, Korah and all of those that joined with him died that day. It was, it was a large number of people died in that rebellion. Then we move in, and God is still with these people, thank God, because his covenant is everlasting. And though they have made more mistakes than we can count, God has remained faithful to these people. They near the land of Moab, and, uh, you know, you've got to realize, uh, sometimes we hear the word king or nation, and uh, we're thinking of it in a modern context large nations, really many of the nations on the planet today are not just made of one people group. They're made of several. Uh, There are big borders with large governments. But as the Israelites were going uh, through the wilderness, there are a lot of tribes, a lot of kingdoms, a lot of little, you know, basically what we might call warlords now. Some of them were chieftains. Some of them were kings of several different tribes uh, but they're, they're running into a lot of different people groups on the way. And these people aren't happy that their land is being trespassed. And they're, being, they're, they're a little concerned uh, that these people won't leave. You know, we, we kind of view it like the Israelites were always on the move, right? Like they just kind of did, did like 20 circles, 40 circles until, it, until they finally all died off and their kids could go in. And, and in some way that's true, but you got to know they actually camped out in more than more than one occasion, they camped out and stayed in one place for long periods of time. So in this story, and I say story not to, tell, not to imply that it isn't true. It's a historical uh, story. But in this incident, these guys have come upon the land of Moab and they've set up their tents. And you got to know the Israelites are a huge group of people. Remember, the reason they were so persecuted in Egypt was because they had gotten so big and Pharaoh saw them as a threat. 
You can imagine if Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, one of the most powerful empires on the earth at that time, is threatened by these people. You can only imagine what, what these little nations might be feeling as these people bring their cows and their, their children and their women and their gold. You know, when you saw a little group, of, just a, like a, a raiding party or something, you thought, well, maybe they're just coming through or maybe they're just going to uh, make a couple raids and we can deal with them. But when people bring their families, that's a problem, right? Because you say they're here to stay. Uh-oh. You know, and who, who knows where they're going to settle down? We're not letting them settle here. So in Numbers chapter 22, we, we come across a, a, a fellow named Balak. Uh, and uh, Balak is uh, probably what we define now as a, as a small king. Uh, some might even call him a chieftain. But it looks like he's got considerable influence. He's got a lot of people under him. But he's realized that he can't fight the Israelites with conventional means because he's heard of the victories they've had, specifically the victories over the Amalekites, uh, the victories over the Amorites. He's heard of these victories, and he said, if they beat them, they can beat us. Balak would have worshipped a god named Chemosh, Chemosh and his consort Ashtar, and um, most likely would have gone to them and said, our gods will save us, but those gods hadn't saved anybody else. And so he's getting nervous. And here's what happens in, in Numbers 22. The sons of Israel journeyed, and they camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan opposite Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. So Moab was in great fear because of the people, for they were numerous, and Moab was in dread of the sons of Israel. Moab said to the elders of Midian, now this horde will lick us up and all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of Moab at the time. So he sent messengers to Balaam, or probably if we were to pronounce it properly, it would be Balaam, but we're not going to do that because that's just going to, we'll take an extra half hour if I pronounce it Balaam every time, right? Uh, we'll just call him Balaam like I learned when I was a kid. Messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor at Pithor, which is near the river, in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, the people came out of Egypt. Behold, they covered the surface of the land, and they're living opposite me. Now, therefore, please come, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I may be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand, and they came to Balaam, Balaam, and repeated Balak's words to him. He said to them, spend the night here, and I'll bring word back to you as the Lord may speak to me. And the leaders of Moab stayed with Balaam. Now, one thing you've got to realize, we kind of think like it was just a, they just went down the road and found Balaam, like they had heard of him before. But like I said, uh, these, these folks did not worship the God of the Israelites. In fact, the way they would have seen life you know, people nowadays say, well, I, I, I call him this, you call him that, but it's all the same God, right? That's not what they thought. What they thought was that there were several gods over different territories, and the gods over these people and the gods over these people, and the gods picked their favorite people and stuck with them. So when they talk about the Lord, just like we talked about weeks ago, months ago, when they talk about the Lord, you'll see in most of your Bibles, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's because it is not Adonai, as in Lord, as in, you know, a ruler. 
It is Yahweh, which is a name of God. So you see, when we say God today, people can mean all sorts of things, right? Somebody can say God, and they mean this. Somebody can say God, and they mean a totally different thing. But Yahweh was a specific name that God gave himself and revealed to Moses. He revealed himself to Moses and the Israelites by this name, Yahweh. And there's so much meaning in Yahweh, but you have to know that there's a reason they went all this way to find Balaam. Balaam is not close by. In fact, most scholars uh, would believe that uh, the Peor that they're talking about is miles and miles away. It's probably, uh, you know, if, if, if you believe what many people smarter than me would say, this is a, a, a city that's going to take months to get to. It's going to take, well, or at least several weeks to get to, probably about four weeks. So you can imagine these guys set out finding this guy. Why? Because their gods have failed them. So they need to find someone who uses the same God as these Israelites, which is really dumb. It's dumb on all sides. But people get dumb, right? You know, <laughs> especially when it, when it comes to, when you step out of relationship with God and step into religion, we, get, we, we just turn into idiots. And, and Balaam, obviously, had remembered the Lord. He's not an Israelite, but he has some relation, some connection uh, to the sons of Israel. Whether he is a descendant of Abraham, I don't know. Likely he is because he knows the true God. Whether he's a descendant or a proselyte, he doesn't live with the Israelites. He wasn't with them in Egypt, but he worships the same God. So the king, Balak, believes, hey, my gods are failing. Chemosh hasn't saved us. Ashtar hasn't saved us. We're going to try this God. Reminds me of the book of Acts when there were Jewish exorcists that said, hey, there's a new spell that's working. It's that Jesus. Let's try it. And they tried it and got their, their, their butts kicked and, and were stripped naked and kicked out of the house. Because Jesus, just as Yahweh, is not a spell, is not a God you can control, is not merely a name that you can throw around. And I know you know this, but when you pray in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus is not an abracadabra that you just stamp onto your prayer and it has power. In the name of Jesus means I am praying according to his will. I am praying according to his authority. I am praying on his behalf as, his, as, as one of his ambassadors on this earth. That's why it has power. And so here, go find this guy. Go see if you can track down Balaam. We've heard that he's a prophet. We've heard that he can bless. We've heard that he can curse. So let's, let's go find this guy and... Uh, Let's see if he'll curse these people. It took 22 to 25 days to get to him. And that'll, that'll become a little bit more humorous as we go through the story because they're going to make a lot of trips back and forth. And uh, here's what happens. They get there. He says, spend the night. I'm going to talk to Yahweh. Then God came to Balaam and said, who are these men with you? And you know, God always, God asks questions all the time, but it's never because he doesn't know the answer. He wants to hear what you say, right? What, what do you say about these folks? And Balaam said, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent word to me. He said, behold, there is a people who came out of Egypt. They cover the surface of the land. Now come curse them for me. Perhaps I may be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, don't go with them. 
You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam arose in the morning and said to Balak's leaders, Go back to your land, for Yahweh has refused to let me go with you. The leaders of Moab arose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. It's a lot of, there's a lot of travel just to tell him that quick message. Then Balak, Balak sent, again sent leaders, more numerous and more distinguished than the former. Maybe God turned him down because he didn't send enough and, and, and fancy enough people. You know, let's send fancier people, God will answer. This will work. They came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I beg you, hinder you from coming to me. And you know they were doing the wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Like, let nothing. Have you met my friend Benjamin? You know. You notice we're dressed a lot nicer than the other guys. We have larger bags that, that clink as we, as we travel. Let nothing hinder you from coming with us. I beg you. Verse 17. For I will indeed honor you richly, and I will do whatever you say to me. Please come then, curse this people for me. And Balaam replied to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could do not anything, either small or great, contrary to the command of the Lord my God. Now please, stay here tonight, and I'll find out what else the Lord will speak to me. Now, this is how you know that Balaam is just a greedy son of a gun, because God already was pretty clear about this, right? God didn't say they're blessed, but for a price. I could take it back. Balaam knows the answer already. But what does he say? Ooh, that's a lot of money. Let me talk to God again. I'll just, I'll go back. I'll, I'll check with him. Um, I maybe need to pray longer. Maybe I need to. And, and we all laugh, but we've done this. And maybe you didn't do it for money. But you already knew what God said. And it's not the answer you're looking for. Let me go back. I, um, I, did, I, put on, I didn't put on Hillsong when I was praying. I'll do that. Uh, maybe I should pray in the spirit a little bit. Uh, more scriptures. I, I, I need people to agree with me. Well, you know, you're not going to change God's mind. Please stay here tonight. I'll find out what else the Lord will speak to me. Verse 20. So God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise up and go with them. But only the word which I speak to you shall you do. So I think Balaam thinks he's going to get his way here. Oh, wait, God did change his mind. Balaam arose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the leaders of Moab. But God was angry because he was going. Now, you might find that odd because God was the one that told him to go. But this wasn't God saying, this is a good idea. This is God saying, you're going to keep bugging me about this? Go on. But you have to say what I tell you to say still shouldn't have gone. And Balaam's heart is not, oh man, God may bless these people. Balaam's heart is, please let me curse them. I need the funds. I need the money. I would like three donkeys instead of one. This is going to work out for me. And they get on the road, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. Now he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his sword drawn in his hand, the donkey turned off from the way and went back into the field. But Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back into the way. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path of the vineyards with a wall on the side and a wall on the other side. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed herself to the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall, so he struck her again. The angel of the Lord went further, stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn to the right or the left. 
And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam was angry and struck the donkey with his stick. Just pause for a minute and realize how messed up it is that his animal is more sensitive to the spirit world than he is. It's not that the angel was like, this will be funny. I'll let the donkey see me. It said he was so blind to what, to what God was trying to show him. So the, angel, the donkey just says, I'm just going to sit down. I mean, I, I'm not going to die for this idiot. You know, I'm just going to lie down. And here's what happens. The Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you've struck me these three times? Now, that's weird. But what's even weirder is that Balaam just carries on the conversation <laughs> as if it's the most normal thing in the world. There's nothing, Balaam doesn't say, what, a talking donkey? Balaam just says, because you made a mockery of me, and, and I can't fathom that. You know, by the time your animals start talking to you and you talk back as if it's normal, you made a mockery of me. You made me look stupid. If there had been a sword in my hand, I would have killed you by now. The talking donkey. <laughs> The donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey in which you've ridden all your life to this day? Have I ever been accustomed to do so to you? And he said, no. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. What's even better is that the, the donkey won the argument. I find that just awesome. <laughs> now, can we just pause again? Take a break. Now, people are going to look at this and they're going to say, you silly little church people. Look at these Bible stories you believe. This is not implying that, that Balaam lived in the land of Aesop's fables where animals always talk to people. It's the only time it happens in the Bible. God did a miracle, all right? We believe in miracles. So you might think I'm weird, but I completely believe this happened. Absolutely, I believe this happened. Now, I don't know whether God gave the donkey the ability to articulate his emotion or whether God just spoke what he wanted to say and used a donkey to do it. I don't know. But I know God did it, right? I don't believe that, that Balaam had a talking donkey that talked all the time like Mr. Ed. This is, this is a one-time miraculous thing. And please, you know, Chris, don't go back to the donkey at home and lay your hands on it and say, speak in the name of Jesus. Like it, it's, I don't think God's going to make your animals talk, all right? He could. I don't think he will. Uh, so anyways, <laughs> the angel, he sees, he finally sees the, the angel of the Lord, and he bowed all the way to the ground. In verse 32, the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I came out as an adversary because your way was contrary to me, but the donkey saw me, turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, I would have surely killed you just now and let her live. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I've sinned. For I did not know that you were standing in the way against me. Now then, if it's displeasing to you, I'll turn back. But the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but you will speak only the word which I tell you. So Balaam went along with the leaders of Balak. And when Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab, which is on the Arnon border, at the extreme end of the border. Then Balak said to Balaam, Did I not urgently send to call you? Why did you not come to me? Am I really unable to honor you? In other words, don't I have enough cash for you? So Balaam said to Balak, Behold, I've come now to you, 
Am I able to speak anything at all? The word that God puts in my mouth, that's what I'll say. And Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kiriazath Huzath, and Balak sacrificed oxen and sheep, and sent some to Balaam and the leaders who were with him. Then it came about in the morning that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal, and he saw from there a portion of the people. Then Balaam said to Balak, build seven altars for me here. Prepare seven bulls and seven rams for me here. Balak did just as Balaam had spoken, and Balak and Balaam offered up a bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, stand beside your burnt offering, and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me, and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. So he went to a bare hill. Here's an issue that I see already. Because Balaam is a man who can be bribed, he thinks God can be bribed. And that's a real issue. You see, we often turn God into whatever we are. That's what mankind has done. You read Greek mythology? Their gods are imperfect. They're sleeping around. They're lying. Why? Because that's the way the people were. When we create God in our own image, it's idolatry, isn't it? Balaam is someone who can be bribed, so he thinks God can be bribed. Let's offer offerings. Let's offer sacrifices at the high place of Baal. Doesn't see an issue with that. Then he says this. They went to a bear hill, and God met Balaam, and he said, I've, Balaam said, I've set up seven altars. I've offered up a bull and a ram on each altar. As if that's like, you know, so we're good, right, bud? Like, like slipping a fiver in his hand and saying, you know, do me a favor. Do me a solid. Why don't you just curse the people that you delivered? And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, return to Balak, and you will speak this. So he returned to him, and behold, he was standing beside his burnt offering, he and all the leaders of Moab. And he took up his discourse and said, From Aram, Balak has brought me. Moab's king from the mountains of the east. He said, Come curse Jacob for me. Come denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? As I see him, now when he says him, he's talking about the nation of Israel. I love this. He says, as I see him from the top of the rocks and I look at him from the hills, behold, a people who dwells apart. In other words, a holy people. Who will not be reckoned among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob? Who will number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright and let my end be like his. (laughs) Belak, you can just imagine the look on his face. He says to Balaam, what have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, but behold, you actually blessed them. You're going to get one star on Yelp at best. He replied, must I not be careful to speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? Then Balak said to him, please come with me to another place. It's all about location, guys. We've been hitting this from the wrong direction. Let's try somewhere else from where you may see them. Although you will only see the extreme end of them and will not see all of them, curse them for me from there. So he took him to the field of Zephim, to the top of Pisgah, and he built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. He said to Balak, stand here beside your burnt offering while I meet the Lord over there. And the Lord met Balaam. He put a word in his mouth and he said, return to Balak and thus you shall speak. So he came to him. Behold, he was standing beside his burnt offering and the leaders of Moab were with him. And Balak said, what has Yahweh spoken? Then he took up his discourse and said, Arise, O Balak, and hear. Give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of a man that he should repent. You know what he's saying here is God is not human. Human beings lie. Human beings go back on their word. But God is not one of those. 
He will not lie and he will not go back on his own word. Oh, if we could only just get that revelation. If we would just capture that revelation, our life would be different already. See, we're living in a reality where we are convinced. So many people are convinced that we're in and out of blessing, that, that God could bless us, he could curse us. We never know what he's going to do. And when you understand that Galatians 3 clearly says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us so that we might receive the blessing of Abraham, that is the promise of the Spirit. We understand that he has died in our place so we might inherit his blessing. You know, throughout our lives, there's been people that are terrified of the work of the evil one. You know, and I understand that when it's an unbeliever, but I don't understand that when it's a believer. I don't understand when believers are afraid of demonic forces. I don't understand when believers are afraid of the curses of the enemy. Because let me tell you, there is no curse of the enemy that can overwhelm the blessing of God. There is no power, demonic or otherwise, which is above the name of Jesus. You know, we have, we still have families up in the north that, that are concerned about witchcraft and curses placed on them. And let me tell you, it's not an empty threat. There is real demonic power at work, but not over the people of God who stand in their covenant, who stand in the blessing of God. We are now a new people. We're a new creation. You have a new family. I don't care what, what family you came from. You are part of the family of God. Whatever curse you consider in your past, consider this. That curse is done away with. You are part of the blessing of God. There's nothing to be afraid of from the evil one. Nothing. The only way he has in is if you let him in. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But here, he says, God's not a man. He can't lie. He can't turn back. Has he not said? Will he not do it? Or has he spoken? Will he not make it good? Behold, I've received a command to bless. And when he is blessed, I can't revoke it. He has not observed misfortune in Jacob. He has not seen trouble in Israel. The Lord, his God, is with him. Now, hang on. Hang on. The story before this is thousands of Israelites dying because they rebelled against God. And the story before that with people rebelling against God and saying we will go into the promised land. And the story before that, I mean, come on, guys. Actually, I skipped a story of them grumbling in the desert and fiery serpents coming out. He hasn't observed trouble in Israel. Not anything that is big enough to turn him back from his covenant. You see, we read this, and sometimes it's so easy to say, well, see, God hadn't observed trouble, but, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes. I, I'm an, I just haven't followed God as much as I should, and surely he's done with me. Surely he's given up on me. I doubt you've been as rebellious as these guys had. And yet God still said, I haven't seen a thing in them which was big enough for me to break my covenant. I don't see trouble in Jacob. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Because I sure see trouble in these guys. I see trouble after trouble after trouble. But God sees covenant. And that's a powerful thing. The Lord God is with them, and the shout 
of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt. He's like for them, like the horns of the wild ox. There's no omen, there's no curse against Jacob, nor is any divination against Israel. There's no sorcery, there's no spell I can cast. At the proper time, it shall be said to Jacob and to Israel what God has done. Behold, the people rises like a lioness, and as a lion lifts itself, it will not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. Boy, that would have been scary if you're Balak standing there hearing that. You poked the lion. You should not have poked the lion. Then Balak said to Balaam, don't curse them or bless them at all. Just stop talking. You know, the best thing you can do is just shut your mouth now. Please. Fine, don't curse them, but, but stop talking. Every time you open your mouth, they get better. But Balaam replied to Balak, Balaam replied to Balak, did I tell you? Whatever Yahweh speaks, that's what I've got to do. Then Balak, ever the optimist, says to Balaam, please come. I will take you to another place. Perhaps it will be agreeable with God that you can curse them for me from there. Remember, this sounds hilarious to me. Like, as you just say, this is hilarious, right? Like, you know, God has really been pretty clear about this. It hasn't worked. It's backfired on you. Balak is basically Wiley e. Coyote of the ancient Bible times who's just going to try to catch the roadrunner one more time. And it always blows up in his face. But he's convinced that this time it's going to work, right? But the reason is, as silly as it sounds, the reason is, is because Balak sees gods as territorial. He says he sees gods. There are gods in high places. There's gods in low places. This is a theme you'll see out throughout the whole te- Old Testament. There are times where Israel's attacked, where Judah's attacked, and, uh, for instance, when the Assyrians were attacking, their great general said, uh, they, well, we didn't have success here, but perhaps their God is a God of the hills. Perhaps we'll fight him in the valleys. They truly believed that th- their, this God was like the gods they understood. We know there's only one true God, and he is God who created the heavens and the earth. There is no place that can hide from his presence. There is no place where you can run from his eyes. There is no place... Whereas that is beyond his arm. He created all of this. He's everywhere all at once. They are grappling with the concept of an infinite and uncontainable God. But he says, let's go up here. Let's try it again. I got a, I got a package from Acme that's going to work. It's going gonna, it's gonna to work. We're going to do this. Balaam, and Balaam, I don't know what he's getting out of this. Um, because surely he thinks at this point it's not working. I think he thinks the more I try, the closer I get to getting paid. And he tries it again. He says, build seven altars for me here. Prepare seven bulls and seven rams for me here. Balak did just as Balaam had said and offered up a bull and a ram on each altar. When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he didn't go as at other times to seek omens, but he set his face towards the wilderness. And Balaam lifted up his eyes, and he saw Israel camping tribe by tribe. And the Spirit of God came upon him. And he took up his discourse, and he said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God. You see how it's changed? This time, Balaam didn't go trying to find out if he could change God's mind. Now he says, My eyes are opened. I've heard God. 
who sees the vision of the Almighty, falling down, yet having his eyes uncovered. How fair are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens beside the river, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. Water will flow from his buckets. His seed will be by many waters. His king shall be higher than Agog. His kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt. He is for him like the horns of a wild ox. He will devour the nations who are his adversaries. He will crush their bones in pieces. He will shatter them with his arrows. He couches. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion who dares rouse him. Blessed is everyone who blesses you. Cursed is everyone who curses you. Then Balak's anger burned against Balaam. And he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam. Like he's so angry he's angry clapping. Like did I not tell you to curse them? I don't think he did it like that's a sassy thing. I think he was like just seriously angry. He's smacking his hands together. And he says, I called you to curse my enemies. But behold, you've persisted in blessing them these three times. Therefore, flee to your place now. I said I'd honor you greatly, but behold, the Lord has held you back from honor. Honor, if you've studied the Old Testament, honor, even in the New Testament, honor is often tied to money. And even God says that at different times. Honor is not always, there's times where honor is a matter of the heart, but there's other times when they use it as a verb, I will honor you, Often that's talking about I'll give you I'll give you some money I'll I'll, I'll bless you I'll give you some I'll give you some, I'll give you something. He says the Lord held you back from honor. The Lord is the reason you're going home with empty pockets. Hope you're happy. And Balaam said to Balak, Did I not tell your messengers whom you'd sent to me, saying, Though Balak were to oh, give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not do anything contrary to the command of the Lord either good or bad, of my own accord. What the Lord speaks, that I will speak. Now behold, I'm going to my people. Come, I'll advise you what this people will do to your people in the days to come. He took up his discourse and said, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is open, the oracle of the man who hears the words of God, whose knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, falling down yet having his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel and shall crush the forehead of Moab and tear down the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be a possession. Seir, its enemies, also will be a possession. While Israel performs valiantly. And what is amazing about this evil man who has tried to take the gift of God and turn it into a way to get paid. He is still hearing the voice of God and he has peered so far as in to see the Messiah coming. That is amazing. You could make the leap. You don't have to, all right? I've been preaching. Right now, I'm going to give you my theory. So you take it as a theory, not as a word from God, all right? But you can make the leap. Because Daniel, when he came into Babylon, was exalted to the position of chief mag, chief of the Magi. The Magi were a long line of wise men, sorcerers, astronomers, magicians even. But Daniel was not a magician or a sorcerer. He was a prophet of God. And he was exalted so much that the Magi made him the, the chief over all of them. By the time Jesus is born, there's a group of Magi in the east who probably still hold some of the teachings of Daniel. And it's a very, in my mind, it's not too far off base that Daniel 
would have passed down the prophecies of, of old. And it could have been in one of those prophecies that they found the words of Daniel quoting the words of Balaam saying, a star will rise in the east. And someday they see that star and they go to Israel to find it. You can see that God is so far beyond one moment in time. He goes through the ages. His plan of history. And so you see throughout the Old Testament, over and over again, he brings the Messiah back into play. This is bigger. And this is why it needs to be said. Because they have to understand the reason God will not curse Israel. The reason that his blessing is on Israel is yes, because he blessed Abraham and said, I'll bless your descendants. But also the reason he blessed Abraham and said, I'll bless your descendants is because this in this group of people held the seed that would save all of us. Because God's promise to Abraham was was a, a continuation of God's promise to Adam. And that continued through Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and all the way to these rebellious kids who still didn't hear the word of the Lord. But God would not break his covenant. And here's why. Because his covenant was not just about that small group of people. It was about us. If you ever read these old stories and say, why did God insist that they defeat these nations? God took no pleasure in that. The Bible says God, God said this. He said it through his prophet. He said, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I don't, I don't take pleasure in the death of any human being, he says. But it had to happen so that Israel could be preserved, so that the seed would be preserved, so that a line could be saved so that Jesus would come and save us all. Balaam can't curse Israel because God has blessed Israel on behalf of all of us. You see how when you step into God's world, it's way bigger than you ever thought? Can I just tell you, your life is not just about you? And I know you say, yeah, I know, it's about the people around me. It's more than that. The book of Hebrews says we're running a race. And we need to finish our race because the people that ran before us, even back thousands and thousands of years, are counting, us to, counting on us to finish our part because we're running part of the same relay race. Without us, their race isn't done. God's covenant has endured since the beginning of time. God will not revoke his blessing off his people. God will not allow the curse to come on you over the blessing. says this, basically tells them how all of these nations are going to bow to Israel. And he goes home. And I wish that was the last we saw of Balaam. This story does not have a happy ending. Balaam's body turns up in the list of casualties later on as the Israelites go and conquer territory. And the reason he's on the wrong side of the battle it's because Balaam eventually tried to get paid. And he realized he wasn't allowed to curse Israel. So you know what he did? The Bible tells us he cooked up a plan and said, we can't curse them, but we can get them to step out of the blessing. Have your women go and seduce them. Have them turn to your gods and worship your idols. And they did. The next story in this book is the Israelites committing fornication with these women and turning to their idols. 
And thousands of them died that day, 23,000. What they couldn't do through war, what they couldn't do through cursing, the Israelites did to themselves. What do we learn from that? Satan has no power to do anything to you. You, you flee from idolatry. Flee from greed. Flee from the work of the enemy. You know why? Because he can't defeat you, but he can get you to step out of the covering. He can get you to step out of what God has promised you. I'm not talking about falling in and out of salvation, but I am talking about stepping out from under the blessing of God because you chose a different path. And people do it all the time. That's what the Israelites did. You had no reason to be afraid of anything the enemy has for you. No reason to be afraid of any curse. No reason to be afraid of any spirit or any sort of power in heaven, earth, or below the earth. Keep your eyes on Jesus. The author and perfect of your faith, who's able to keep you from stumbling. Amen? He's able to. You know, we're going to talk about this in a bit, one of these Wednesdays, but if you move all the way to 1 Corinthians 10, he talks about the failure of the Israelites when they fell into idolatry. And he said, this happened to them as an example for us so that we would not crave evil things. He talks about how they experienced God and yet they turned to idols. And he says this, know this, that with every temptation, God will not allow any temptation to come to you that you're not able to overcome. Doesn't mean God's tempting you. In fact, the Bible says the opposite. God does not tempt people with sin, nor can he be tempted. But God wouldn't even let temptation come to you that you weren't able to overcome. Wouldn't even let it come near you. And he says, and with every temptation, he provides a way of escape. So here's what I want to say to you today. Don't be afraid of the curse. Don't be afraid of any power because the blessing of God in your life overrides all of that. You are blessed. You cannot curse who God has blessed. Is the shout of a king amongst us? Is God himself amongst us? Yes. So why would we turn to anything else? What is idolatry? It's anything that you give yourself to, give your strength to, or that you rely on it to give you strength above God. And when we turn to these things and we give ourselves to them, or we, we say, give, you know, I need, I need this, I need this, this is what gives me strength, this is what gives me life above God, it's an idol. Turn away from that. And if there's anything you're struggling with, and say, I'm trying to turn away. Know this promise because of the blessing of God. God says, you're my kids, you're my people. And I would not allow anything to come near you that you couldn't beat. So conquer in Christ. Because what you can't do, he can do. And through every temptation, he has provided a way of escape for you. And that's good news for us, amen? Don't be like Balaam. You know, Balaam's mentioned in the New Testament. After that, you know, he seems like a pretty good guy. He seems like kind of a dumb guy, but he seems pretty good by the end of that because he keeps blessing Israel. But he's, he's, in the end, he's a villain. And in the New Testament, when, when they talk about Balaam, they talk about people who give up what God has for them for the sake of greed. We could learn our lesson. Simon the magician tried to buy the Holy Spirit from Peter, and Peter said, you can't buy this. What do you think? You could buy this? 
It can't. The people of God can't be bribed, nor can God be bribed. The people of God listen to the voice of God. The people of God have the blessing of God. And the people of God cannot be cursed because his blessing is upon us. Amen? Stand with me.